This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dr. Henry addresses leaked COVID documents. The vast majority of what's in those is released in various forms on a weekly basis. Information they're now promising to share with the public. Young, healthy, and hit hard by COVID. I don't have any asthma. I don't have any health issues. I'm like, why is this happening to me? The fitness expert knocked flat by the virus. Why he's warning others. And the possibility of vaccine passports. Government's attitude on vaccination passports is scientifically ignorant and cowardly. Why this law professor says proof of vaccination protects everyone. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC health officials are under fire tonight, accused of hiding data about how the pandemic is affecting our communities. Leaked documents reveal details about infection rates never publicly seen before. And as Richard Zussman reports, that's calling into question the government's commitment to COVID transparency. This is Premier John Horgan in November. We're not hiding anything. We have been... Uh, as transparent as any jurisdiction in North America. Seven months later, it's become blatantly clear that wasn't true then, and it isn't true now. An internal BC CDC report only released publicly Friday, showing pages of data health officials get and the public doesn't. We've had a fairly paternalistic um, approach to this, where it seems that the province thinks that as long as they have the data and look at it, that's good, and the public doesn't need to know. Dr. Bonnie Henry and Dr. Rekha Gustafson appearing at a hastily called teleconference. Not even enough planning to appear before a camera. Public health insisting most of the CDC data has previously been released publicly. We make as much of the data as is possible, especially once validated and and turned into meeting, meaning um, available publicly. But there are many elements the public has never seen. Positivity, case rates and vaccination down to neighborhoods, reproductive rates on a weekly basis. After being asked repeatedly, public health eventually agreeing to release this information consistently going forward. We are working very hard to have it available publicly and uh, it takes time to develop those maps. The BC Greens and the BC Liberals have been raising for months concerns around a lack of data being provided. When we see what data was actually kept from us and then the decisions that were made, it's, it's absolutely absurd to think that they knew best. The big question is whether having the data would actually make a difference for the spread of the virus. For example, Toronto provides neighborhood-level COVID data and has had higher transmission than most places in BC during the pandemic. But that's not the case everywhere. Having a focus on some of the um, areas that have these very high transmissions and very high positivity rates um, and at the same time, lower vaccination rates um, would have helped to build up pressure to maybe act earlier. And as Dr. Henry often says, defeating COVID-19 takes layers of protection, with many hoping more information is one of those added layers. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
And Keith Baldry joins us now to delve a little deeper into those leaked reports. Keith, people mm. are very curious about hot spots, positivity rates and vaccination rates. So what does the data show? Yeah, and they're curious about uh, how it affects them locally. We've been pushing at public health since the beginning for more granular local data. So, you know, what's going on within municipal boundaries rather than just a global figure assigned to one city, which can be very large. And today we got our first glimpse of how some of the cities are actually uh, have different levels of COVID in Metro Vancouver. Take a look. This is the, the case number for the last week of April. The more dark purple places have more COVID-19 per capita. And you can take a look at Surrey as purple, but Northwest Surrey, Wally and Newton are deepest purple, which means the COVID rate there is far higher than the rest of Surrey. Same in South Burnaby, much more infectious there than North Burnaby. Abbotsford on the right there, again, another hot spot, but within Abbotsford uh, downtown is the hottest. This is the vaccination chart. The dark green is where there's more vaccinations. Again, Northwest Surrey, light green. So you've got the double whammy of more cases and lighter, uh, fewer vaccinations as well as South Burnaby. Same case there and to a lesser degree in Abbotsford. Also the positivity rate, which tells you how much COVID out there, again, Again, corresponds to the other maps. You see South Burnaby uh, has a, a much higher positivity rate than the rest of Burnaby. Surrey has a high positivity rate in general, but again, it's the northwest part of Surrey that has by far the highest positivity rate in the entire region. And again, you see Abbotsford there on the right with higher positivity than neighboring municipalities. So it's interesting that we're a commitment now. We'll be getting this data on a regular basis. I just checked Fraser Health Authority, and what do you know? Three more businesses have closed, just announced this afternoon. One in South Burnaby, one in Mid-Surrey, and one in downtown Abbotsford. All right, Keith Baldry in Victoria, thank you. Let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers now. We have 722 new cases today. That brings BC's total to 134,341, with more than 6,700 of those cases active. Hospital numbers continue to drop with 445 people in hospital, 157 of those patients in ICU. Sadly, seven more people have died. And that means BC has now lost more than 1,600 lives to complications of the virus. As they said it would, the vaccine rollout in BC is finally starting to pick up speed. With more and more vaccines arriving, the age groups are dropping quickly and more workers are being prioritized. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the date for most of the province to get their shots could be coming up much sooner than expected. Stay right here, all right? Judging by the lineup, there is no shortage of demand. And for the first time since the start of the year, vaccine is now abundant enough in BC to match the capacity. The age-based rollout continues to tick downward. Starting Friday, everyone over 46 is eligible to book an appointment. Sunday, it goes down to 43, and next Tuesday, it drops to 40. The age for booking is going to be dropping precipitously over the next week, so registering puts you in position to get your vaccine first. But for much of Metro Vancouver, it's moving more quickly than that. Dozens of communities in B.C. have been designated high transmission areas. Vancouver Coastal Health and Fraser Health have listed neighborhoods from the Sea to Sky Corridor to Abbotsford, where people over the age of 30 can book an appointment right now. In Vancouver, seven neighborhoods on the east side have been targeted. In Burnaby, everyone over 30 south of Highway 1 is eligible. In Surrey, the area included is everywhere north of Highway 10 huge swaths of population that need to be ready to roll up their sleeves as soon as possible. The more people we can get vaccinated, the better. And what time is your appointment set for? 2.30. Oh, 
We're almost there. <laughs> almost there. Earlier this week, it was announced grocery workers in Fraser Health would be included in the expanded eligibility. Friday, hospitality workers from Richmond to Whistler, regardless of age, given the green light to book two. The more vaccines that come, the, the better the news is. And certainly, uh, our, we're providing everything we can to support our workers to go and get their vaccines. The capacity to hit these new groups is already built into the system. BC vaccinating more than 50,000 people a day. And at this pace, everyone over 12 could be eligible for their first shot by the middle of June. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, now that vaccinations are ramping up, talk of a vaccine passport is increasing as well. Proof of immunization for travel or even entry into a concert or hockey game. The idea of giving up personal information is enough to make some people think twice. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, a new poll suggests most British Columbians are open to the idea. As we continue to navigate through the pandemic, we're hearing more about vaccine passports, which would allow us to prove we've been inoculated. I think it might be a good idea in some ways. I think it would just be, I don't know, safer for everyone. How do most Canadians feel about a vaccine passport? Research Co. did an online survey. What we saw is that the level of support for the vaccine passport concept for travel is very high, particularly when it comes to international travel. 73% of BC respondents favor a vaccine passport for travel to other countries. 64% support it for trips to other provinces or for travel within one's own province. 56% of Canadians back vaccine passports for live concerts. And here in BC, 59% of us give the thumbs up to one being required to attend live sporting events. If you get it, then you should be able to go wherever, right? Canadian officials have said they plan to align our policy on vaccine certification with those of our international allies. We are looking at making sure that people do have access and uh, to their own information, their own health information. And I know there'll be an international need uh, for some sort of, a, a probably for a period of time. One health policy expert says there's no question vaccine passports will be needed noting they're already required at most major U.S. universities. If government now tells us vaccine passports are unnecessary, you know what they're doing? They're setting you up for a fourth wave. And is that where you want to go? The International Air Transport Association is promoting its Travel Pass app, which will allow users to store COVID test results and vaccine certification. Vaccine passports are coming. It's just unclear how and when they'll be required. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A young Surrey man is speaking out tonight with a warning. If he can end up in hospital because of COVID-19, anyone can. As John Waugh reports, despite the fact he's made health and fitness a priority, he still found himself fighting for his life. Tarek Raymond likes to lead by example when it comes to living a healthy lifestyle. Good nutritional food, superfoods, antioxidants, omega-3 fats. That's the key to life. But the 33-year-old says it didn't matter how he trained or what supplements he took. The strength of a COVID-19 variant was overpowering. A message he shared on social media. This is a really 
scary feeling because you think, you know, being healthy and going to the gym and taking all your nutrients, you're going to be fine. He was far from it. Within a few days of first experiencing flu-like symptoms, Raymond found himself in the emergency. And then I went to emergency, which was their memorial, and I saw so many people there that were my age. First, it was the discoloration of his fingers. Then concern his organs might start to shut down. It felt like I was literally gasping for air for the last breath every single time. Almost completely dependent for oxygen, what Raymond said he was told next by his doctor left him terrified. Tarek, if your oxygen doesn't go down, we're going to have to put you in, um, you know, an ICU into a coma. Thanks to plenty of prayers and support from family and friends, Raymond started to recover. I've never in my 33 years have experienced anything like this. His story a warning for other young adults who don't think they need to worry about the devastating effects of COVID-19. Despite the hospitalization of hundreds of British Columbians, in their 20s and 30s. You can be the healthiest guy in the world and it could drop you like that, or you could be an overweight guy and you could have the sniffles. You just don't know. Having spent most of his life promoting fitness and well-being, Tarek Raymond says he had to speak out, knowing what happens when a COVID variant takes hold. John Hua, Global News. Disappearing posts about murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. Why it's so upsetting to those who have suffered, and how Instagram explains what happened. That's next on the News Hour. The dramatic rescue of a dog after it fell near a waterfall in Golden Ears Park, coming up on the News Hour. And a bounty of baby birds. Why so many are showing up at rescue centers these days. Later. All right, right now, Indigenous influencers and advocates across the country are still feeling unsettled after seeing their posts suddenly disappear from Instagram. The fact that it happened around Red Dress Day made it even worse. Emily Olson shows us why and how the social media site is explaining what happened. It's devastating, honestly. Steffi Parker is still reeling from the shock of seeing her posts about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls removed by Instagram on Red Dress Day, a day specifically designated to amplify awareness. Her account was one of many across the country that had posts, stories, and even archived content completely erased by the platform. Anything I had posted or reposted um, from uh, any account had been removed when I looked at it this morning. We came to the conclusion that this had happened to all of us quite universally. None of our posts were accessible anymore and none of them could be recovered. They say it feels like another step in silencing First Nations people. Because of the pandemic, advocacy has been limited. Lots of things have been moved online, whether it's, um, you know, gatherings in support of or in protection of or fundraising. Instagram tells Global News, quote, We know that some people are experiencing issues uploading and viewing stories. This is a widespread global technical issue not related to any particular topic, and we're fixing it right now. We'll provide an update as soon as we can. But multiple Indigenous influencers are saying the only posts they had removed were specifically for Red Dress Day. I was posting about like my own personal grief with the loss of my cat yesterday, and... Those posts were fine, but the only ones that I had removed were anything to do with Indigenous issues. The community is working to share and re-upload content about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people to their platforms, but remain worried it might be removed again. And what I'm hearing from others as well is that we'd like to know why shouldering the burden of raising 
the awareness um, is on us, but also having to fight censorship is on us. Instagram says it is never the company's intention to limit the voices of the Indigenous community. Emily Olson, Global News. An Abbotsford school board trustee is stepping away from his duties after sharing an offensive anti-mask meme on social media. Phil Anderson shared this image on his Facebook page showing a face mask flying from a flagpole with the caption, The Flag of Slavery. In a statement, the Abbotsford School Board says such images and statements are not reflective of the board's values and that Anderson has agreed to, quote, further training. A doctor who works in the city's hospital says it's irresponsible to spread divisive anti-mask messages while the pandemic is still raging. I didn't even know what to say. I was dumbfounded that someone could do something like that. So to be frank, the, the situation is still like, it's still quite severe. Like we're having, you know, nursing shortages, you know, the beds are filled up. Like, like you walk through the ER and then you go outside the ER to other areas of the hospital and there's patients lined up in the hallways. In a written statement, Anderson apologizes for the posts and has removed access to his Facebook account and other social media. Still ahead, a vigil for a corrections officer gunned down in broad daylight. I don't know how this thing happened to him. What friends and family are saying about him and the investigation. And another young victim of the opioid crisis putting pressure on the province to improve access to treatment. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, although there is a bit of a delay for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $25 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm sure she was sitting Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Vancouver police are looking for the public's help as they investigate a collision between a cyclist and a car. The incident happened at Rupert Street and Grandview Highway shortly after midnight Thursday. The 20-year-old cyclist suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries. The driver of the Tesla involved remained at the scene and is cooperating. Speed, alcohol and drugs are not considered to have been factors. Investigators are looking for other dash cam video to go along with whatever they're able to retrieve from the Tesla. So, uh, yeah, so that is something that our investigators will, will have for sure. Um, but we need um, other witnesses in the area just to kind of piece the, the pieces together. Investigators have a good idea of how it happened, um, but it is always um, a huge benefit when we have uh, third-party witnesses or other dash cam footage to help uh, the investigation along. If you have any information, you can contact the VPD's Collision Investigation Unit. A vigil is underway to remember Bikram Deep Randawa, the B.C. corrections officer shot and killed in Delta last weekend. Our Ramina Dea is live with more on the gathering and any update, if there is one, in the investigation. Ramina? Sophie, Bikram Randawa's brother tells us he has no idea why his brother was murdered. He says tonight is about paying respects. We're here at the location, the parking lot, where Randawa was gunned down. There is a colossal presence here. Um, corrections officers, probably 50-plus of them, family, friends, at least about 200 people, I would say, here that are social distanced. They're wearing masks. And they came to remember. They're telling us that Randawa was one of the nicest humans you would ever meet. 
They say that his goal was to become an RCMP officer. Everyone here simply struggling to understand why him. I don't know how this thing happened to him. And uh, I'm still in shock why this thing happened to him. And it's really unbelievable. And he was very loving, very caring, talked to everybody in a good way, and very down to earth and very hardworking guy he was. Now, Rondawa was gunned down Saturday at Scottsdale Mall in Delta, a reckless shooting five o'clock in the afternoon at a very, very busy location. It is shocking that no one else was hit. The amateur getaway captured on cell phone video, a man with a hoodie running through the parking lot, appears to have trouble finding the getaway vehicle and then trouble getting into the vehicle. Delta police saying that everything is on the table at this point. They are looking at whether this murder is linked to Rundawa's job as a corrections officer. This is a person who is not known to police. There's no history there that we have heard of or that we know of. Is this a case of mistaken identity? Does it have something to do with his personal life? Delta police are looking into everything at this point. Back All right. Th- thanks for that. Ramina Dea reporting for us tonight. The mother of a young girl murdered back in 2000 cannot believe her killer has been granted some freedom from prison. Ten-year-old Heather Thomas vanished while playing outside of her father's apartment in Cloverdale in October of 2000. Hundreds searched for her for weeks until her body was tragically found in Alouette Lake in Goldeneers Park. Now the parole board will allow her killer, Shane Ertmode, de- escorted leaves. He plans to work at a nonprofit in the Victoria area once the pandemic is over. Thomas's mother is outraged by that decision. I want people to get angry. I want them to speak up. I want the laws to be changed. We need to change this as a society. We also need to change how victims are treated. Still ahead, the 15-year-old phenom taking the hockey world by storm. What a show this kid put on. Connor Bedard keeps getting better. Coming up in sports, what his dad says about his success. And not one, but two dramatic dog rescues. And the message for dog owners. Traffic is moving well in and out of Delta at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind there is overnight road work south of the tunnel at Ladner Trunk on Highway 99. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Seems like we've seen a lot of these lately. Yet another dramatic dog rescue caught on video, this time in Maple Ridge. Firefighters were called out to Goldeneers Park today when Rex slipped and ended up in a spot that was hard to access. One firefighter was briefly swept away in the rescue. Thankfully, he was okay. It took some doing on the slippery rocks, but the firefighters eventually managed to pull Rex up for the happy reunion with his humans. Oh, oh, 
Firefighters and search and rescue officials say incidents like this are a reminder of the importance of keeping dogs on a leash. And can you believe it? Here's another one. This time near the community of Logan Lake, southwest of Kamloops. Chevy, a seven-year-old bulldog terrier cross, scrambled down to a ledge and got stuck in a precarious spot high above Mimi Falls. Logan Lake RCMP Constable Kyle Vanditmars and Fire Chief Doug Wilson used climbing and rappelling gear to reach Chevy, hoist the dog to safety, and then reunited her with her family. Well, just a day after we told you about a 12-year-old Vancouver Island girl who died of a suspected overdose, we're learning of a 17-year-old girl who died in a similar fashion. And as Kylie Stanton reports, that's increasing calls for action, including possible mandatory treatment in some situations. She was a ray of sunshine for everybody. Another heart means another life lost. This one gone far too soon. You know, we got to save more of these kids instead of losing them. 17, that's pretty sad. An Nanaimo girl who went by the name Bella Jones died from a suspected overdose last week. She had been living on the streets since the age of 13, struggling with substance use and unable to get the help she needed. I feel the system is failing them all. Quit locking the doors on these people. Open them. Jones's mother tells Global News she was so desperate to get her daughter help, she signed her care over to the Ministry of Children and Families for several years. She had hoped they could do more to save her, but that wasn't the case. Jones is now the second child to die from a suspected overdose on Vancouver Island in just the past few weeks. That's her school picture. It's beautiful. 12-year-old Aliyah Thomas passed away in mid-April. Her mother also calling for improved access to treatment. It's a tragic loss. The I Minister of Mental Health and Addictions acknowledged Thomas's passing today as the province launched the Foundry app that will connect youth 12 to 24 who are struggling with mental health and substance use to a wide array of supports. The announcement today about Foundry's app, as we heard five years in the making and in the building, is an example of another way for young people to access services. But the app may not be able to address the needs of especially high-risk youths. One doctor says it's time to revisit the NDP's proposed Bill 22 to allow for mandatory stabilization. We think they should be admitted. We should, this should be done in a caring fashion, which is, whoa, you almost died. Let's take a look here. What can we do to make this safer? Ideally, enter into treatment. If nothing else, use more safely. In Jones's case, Hilt says it could have been what saved her. I feel she would have had a better chance. Instead, her name now joins so many others on this wall. And sadly, she won't be the last. I don't want to see any more this year, but you know what? There's going to be more. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Just ahead, a growing flock of rescued birds. There's a very angry baby finch. How one rescue organization is overrun with fledglings and other feathered friends. And treasures from the gold rush, the rare collection just gifted to UBC. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It appears to be another one of the unexpected results of the pandemic. Birds finding themselves in trouble. A Burnaby Rescue Centre has seen a staggering increase in animals being brought in this spring. Linda Aylesworth joins us now with more on how you can help keep our feathered friends safe. 
Spring has sprung and new life abounds. What a wonderful time of year to enjoy nature in all its glory. Unless, that is, you work at the Wildlife Rescue Association in Burnaby. It's a higher number of animals than we've received ever at Wildlife Rescue. We're up 74% in April compared to last year. And that's saying something because last year was also a record breaker. So what's going on? They don't know for sure, but suspect the pandemic is playing a role. We do know a lot of people have been spending more time watching wildlife birding has been a high... I guess, popularity during COVID. That could mean that more birds in distress are being discovered and rescued. I have a Canada goose baby for you. Or perhaps we are actually causing the problem. Sometimes they're really interested in engaging with the animals, so they're peering in the nest all the time and causing the parents to abandon the nest. Domestic cats allowed to roam outdoors play a large role in the mutilation of birds. We recommend leaving them inside, especially dawn and dusk, uh, when the birds are most active. Then there's yard work, like tree trimming and removal. You should always check for nests before you, before you actually remove anything. There can be little hummingbird nests that are about this big that you could accidentally remove without even knowing they're there. The result, 500 more birds than last year and three times the staff to feed them every 15 minutes. Some are trickier than others. Hummingbirds will only eat about a drop. They eat about 0.1 of a cc. But while humans can nurture their bodies, they can't teach the chicks the language of their species. And so we actually teach them their songs through local bird songs that we record. Dealing with the deluge isn't cheap, not here or at any wildlife rescue. But you can help with donations and by heeding this advice. Give them their distance, give them a safe place to do to raise their young. And if you are concerned about the animals, give us a call. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that forecast. Some pretty crazy weather today in some parts, Christy. Yes, I think for most pe people, they saw blue sky today. But if you look off in the distance, that's a towering cumulus cloud that is starting to ease off now. A lot of instability. And if you were caught underneath one of these cells, it was intense. Check out some images that came out of Delta this morning. Yes, Monique sharing these with us, which what looks like a tornado. And I pass these on to Environment Canada. They've had a chance to analyze it. There was wind shear, which is a difference in wind direction at different heights in the atmosphere and enough of instability that this is likely what they call a probable uh, funnel cloud. So not a tornado, but a funnel cloud. So incredible uh, job there, Monique. Thanks for capturing that. A lot of instability and created hail, downpours of rain. There was gusty winds and, of course, Beautiful rainbows, so many people sending us shots. You combine a storm like that and some sunshine and this is what you get. So thank you to everyone who shared those photos. Yeah, incredible. All right, so instability will settle down overnight. A wave though will move on shore along the coast. Cloud and a chance of showers for coastal regions. Nice sunshine in the interior though. In the afternoon, the lower mainland will start to see some breaks of blue sky, similar to what we saw today, where less chance of showers, more sunshine, except for those of you up a 
along the mountains and across Vancouver Island. Interior regions, though, terrific conditions for your Saturday with some sunshine in the mix, near seasonal values. But again, that chance of showers for most of the south coast breaks the blue sky, though, in the afternoon. And that cloud will linger in through the Fraser Valley and on western sections of Vancouver Island. So not a bad Saturday and especially Sunday for Mother's Day. We'll still see some cloud cover, but overall Sunday will be mostly dry. We'll see some sunshine and it looks like we'll hold that pattern into next week as well. And I'll leave you with one last shot again of these stunning rainbows combined with the storm clouds. Thank you so much to Johnny for that one out of the Boundary Bay area. All right, guys, back to you. Yes, an action-packed day. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Christy. Double rainbow day. I love it. Uh, all right. Rare artifacts from the gold rush era make up a multi-million dollar one-of-a-kind donation to UBC. Yeah, the Philip B. Lind collection, named for the telecom mogul who gifted it, is a unique treasury of photos and other archival material from the Klondike. And as Nithukat reports, local Indigenous groups say they hope this material leads to further understanding about the impact of that era on their land and people. There's a deck of playing cards. Uh, there's photographs of people taking the, the arduous journey uh, up a river. There's photographs of um, miners who have to climb uh, through a three-kilometer pass. Even games played by miners. Oh, oh, so close. This Klondike Gold Rush collection, a glimpse into history unlike any other this 40-year librarian has ever seen. It's a gold mine in itself. There's nothing like it, and because many of these are unique uh, and original items, they're priceless. Collected over some 50 years, UBC is now in charge of preserving it all. The objects, valued at $2.5 million, donated by an alumnus of the school, Canadian cable trailblazer Phil Lind, whose grandfather, Johnny Lind, came to the region as a prospector two years before the Great Klondike Strike in 1896. He and a partner flipped a coin. Uh, gold in uh, Alaska or oil in Venezuela. <laughs> so gold came up. He considers his grandfather lucky and experienced, but life was rough in sub-zero temperatures in small windowless cabins, and not everyone survived. That's all they did. They just worked themselves to the bone. Many came home with little money, but a lot of stories to tell, like in this more than 20-foot-long pencil-drawn map of the El Dorado and Bonanza Creeks. It must have taken this, this person all winter or, you know, to, 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 to do this. And I got this thing. Now at our fingertips in a soon-to-be-digitized work viewable online, a resource for educators, researchers, and students, which the Trondek Wetchin government hopes will shed light on the displacement of their people. A lot of it is glamorized, and it's said that we gained off of it through the odd jobs that uh, our members received. A lot of it, it wasn't a good story. You know, the impact from our people, it was pretty devastating. And remain so to this day, as their lands continue to be mined. A reminder of the price of the gold that goes far beyond dollar value and lasts for centuries. Nitu Garcha, Global News. Amazing story. All right, we'll keep the uh, gold rush going here with uh, Squire joining us and a look at a bright young talent in uh, hockey. Yes, we, uh, we've seen him before and at the World Under-18 Hockey Championships, 15-year-old Connor Bedard put on quite a show and his former coach says he's not surprised at this great performance. Not at all. That was his chance to kind of show the world 
um, that he is a superstar. And if anyone in the hockey world didn't know about Connor Bedard, they certainly do now. No doubt. Also tonight, satellite debris. <laughs> This is what I wait all week for, Squire. Well, you like to cycle, right? You're a, I do. You're a big cyclist, but road cycling, correct? Well, I'll ride any, any bike. That's okay. Whatever. All right. Well, see if you'd like to try this. I'll show you what uh, I'm talking about. <laughs> this is Killian no. Braun. No. No way. Hard pass. I, you know, it's like at this point... No, is the helmet what? just for show? Because if he's going off the edge, that's a long way down. I disagree with this. <laughs> <laughs> what about this? Do you like this? Yes. Okay. Well, hang on. Okay. Oh. Basically, paragliding and skiing, but there's way more paragliding than skiing, and there's a lot of trees, and there's a mountain, and I'm not so sure this is a good idea either. Unless, of course, you're this man, Valentin Deluc. He seems to know what he's doing. And this is a good way to get back to the village fast. <laughs> Speed riding, as it's known. And there, no, 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 not on the roof. There we go. Now he's back safe and sound. Oh See? Everybody lived. Made it look so easy. Okay, and I also know Sophie loves it when animals become anthropomorphic mm -hmm. and either talk or sing. Love it. This one sings. It's for a French company that sells beds. Here we go. Yes, he's Jolie. And if you're wondering, that actually was a famous song in the 70s, Hocus Pocus by Focus. The guy never sang. I think he just yodeled and whistled the whole time. All right. Wow. Last but not least, um, this is basically an advertising company showing us how advertising can sell yourself sometimes.
hardest dog I've ever seen since Brian from Family Guy. So did he get adopted? I, I th well, he had his bags packed. You know, so he had his own little suitcase. It's a sure thing if there Pretty ever was done one. Deal. He, he uses the bathroom and he mows the lawn and picks up the kids. Shines the shoes too, if <laughs> I'm not mistaken. Awesome. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Thank you all for watching. Have a great weekend. Good night, all.